God is a God of revelation, and He reveals mysteries. And in Daniel chapter 2, he reveals not only what Nebuchadnezzar's dream means, but what he dreamed. And so much was at stake, and so much of the future of the known world would be within this dream and its interpretation. We'll find out more about this intriguing dream of Nebuchadnezzar and its interpretation today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. If you're a note-taker, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. The secret things belong to our God. There are some things that I'm never going to know, at least this side of heaven. There's a lot of things that I'm not going to know. I only have a smidgen of knowledge. I'm only going to live a certain amount of years on this planet. And then my time here will be over. So God has given certain things. And you could say the certain things that he's given is to navigate this life and to prepare you for the ultimate future, your ultimate destiny to be with the Lord. And so there are certain things that he's disclosed to us. There are secret things that belong to our God, but there are things revealed that belong to us. We have 66 books. God has given us a revelation. He's given us his word, partly to navigate the times in which we live and partly, of course, to prepare us for the future. In Daniel 1, if you look back for a second, Daniel was given some um, knowledge and gifting from the Lord that will kind of uh, blend into chapter 2. It says, uh, Daniel 1.17, And as for these four youths, that's Daniel and his three companions, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And Daniel, notice, Daniel 1.17, even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Go down to verse 20. And as for every matter of wisdom, Daniel 1.20, and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. Now, Daniel had wisdom from God. You could call it mental acumen. He was given wisdom, intellect about different subjects. But he was also given a spiritual gift. And spiritual gifts are from the Lord. In fact, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the body as he desires. Each one of you tonight have at least one spiritual gift. It could be the gift of teaching. It could be the gifts of helps. It could be word of knowledge, word of wisdom. There are many gifts that God gives. Some of you have the gift of administration. Some of you have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of giving. Whatever that gift is, here's the one responsibility that you have with that gift. To engage it. To employ that gift in serving one another with the manifold grace of God. And so know what your gift is. And we do have a spiritual gifts class if you haven't been through this before. And then put it into practice. There, It is possible, according to certain verses in the New Testament, to put your gift on the shelf, to not be using that spiritual gift. And I would just tell you, if you are, if you're not using your spiritual gift, can I be so bold as to say you are wasting your life? Ooh, that sounds hard, doesn't it? But I would tell you, if you're not using your gift for the glory of God and the extension of the kingdom of God, 
I would ask some questions about your priorities. And so uh, Daniel has been given this gifting. And remember, Daniel is only a teenager. Uh, the things that Daniel and his buddies do in this book, I'm not sure. I'm in my 50s. I'm not sure that I would have the courage to do in my 50s, let alone to be 16 or 18 and be doing these kinds of exploits of faith. So I hope that as you walk with us through this book of Daniel, you will dare to be a Daniel. I pray more than that. I pray you'll determine to be a Daniel. I pray that we'll learn lessons that we'll apply in our lives. And we're going to learn that God is sovereign even over dreams. I think it was Warren Wearsby who titles this chapter in his commentary, He, God, is the God of dreams and destinies. And a dream is going to come to Nebuchadnezzar tonight as we'll see in this chapter. And the dream is from God, the interpretation's from God, and God has a plan behind it. Now, some of you may have some questions about dreams. Does God uh, speak to people in dreams? Well, he did in the past, and if you uh, wanna go back and get this, I did a little concordance search, and I, I can't take the time to go slow, but we see God speaking to people in dreams in Genesis 20, verse three and six. Genesis 28, 12, 31, 10, and 11, 31, 24. Genesis 37, 5 through 10, in the life of Joseph and Pharaoh. Genesis 40, 5 through 9, and 16. Genesis 41, 1 through 7. Numbers 12, verse 6. Judges 7, 13 through 15. 1 Kings 3, 5 through 15. In Daniel 2, as we're going to see tonight, and even in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, Joel chapter 2 and Acts 2, 17. God speaks in dreams. But the primary way in which God speaks to us today is through his word and through his Holy Spirit. I don't give much thought to dreams. A lot of the dreams that we dream, we don't even remember. But some of you have had some vivid dreams and you've probably wondered about those dreams. And I, I've had a few over my lifetime that I think could have been from God. I had one. We were going on a, with another pastor and his wife and family. We we're going to go on a little uh, um, trip to the lake. And uh, I had a dream. And uh, my son, who uh, is running the soundboard, was the subject of that dream. His name is Nathan. I had a dream that we were on a boat and Nathan got pierced through with a piece of wood through his middle section. And it would just alarm me. And he was a little boy at the time. This was many years ago. And it was just so frightening and so staggering that it was so vivid. And I woke up from that dream and I couldn't shake it. I just kept remembering the, the picture or the scene of something going through my son. But I kept it to myself. I didn't say anything. And we were going to go on this lake trip uh, I think it was, you know, I had the dream on like a Monday and we we're going to leave for the lake on like a Friday. So we got to the lake and we were searching for a place to beach it, you know, put our chairs and all of our stuff. And we looked around, we looked at all these different places. And finally, we found a spot where it was fairly open, you know, not a lot of other people around. And so we pulled the boat up and there was a little kind of... Uh, the beach went like this and then it dropped off and the kids were excited and they were running down and kind of flopping into the water. And as I was watching this go on, we're unpacking the boat and I looked and there was a huge branch laying there with a, a piece sticking out of it and it kind of looked pointed at the end and the, the kids were running past it and they were falling kind of out of control and I went, <gasps> my dream! 
And I quickly told the other pastor, hold on, before we do anything else, let's grab this log. And we grabbed the log, carried it away from our children, turned the jagged part down into the sand. And I was like, and look, I do think that God can speak to us in dreams. He's done it in the past. But I would be extremely careful because the book of Jeremiah says that the prophets, the false prophets of old, said they would have a dream and then they would lie about God and they would tell something false about God. And there's even an implication that perhaps there's some demonic activity involved in there. I don't understand everything about it, but if someone has a dream and they tell that dream and it's not from God or it says to follow other gods or lead you in a false direction, that's not of the Lord. That could even be demonic so-called wisdom as we saw in the book of James. So you have to be very careful. Your primary source for getting truth and understanding the way you are to walk is the Bible. And some people say, why does God speak to certain people in dreams? Because some people don't listen when they're awake. <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> some of you, it's hard to get your attention when you're, you know, doing your thing during the day, right? So maybe God has to speak to some of us in dreams. But again, I would qualify. I think that's pretty much something he did in the, in the past. But I will say this. We have heard stories of Muslims having dreams about Jesus in the Middle East from pretty reputable sources and having Jesus reveal himself in dreams. We've heard missionary stories about this. So while I would admit to you that it's not the norm, I refuse to put God in a box and God can speak however he wants to speak. I would just make sure you test all things by the word of God. Now in the second year, this is Daniel 2.1, of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. I think most scholars date the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar at about 603 BC. So if you're interested, you can note that 603 BC. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Notice the dream uh, is plural, dreams. And his spirit or his mind was troubled and his sleep left him. He could not sleep. That's Daniel 2 verse 1. Now we don't know if the chronology is consecutive here from the end of Daniel 1 to Daniel 2. Sometimes the Bible, when you move to, from chapter to chapter, is not necessarily moving in chronological order. Some of the chapters can overlap. Some chapters could even go back and tell a story that happened earlier. And so you have to be careful that you don't get into a trap of thinking it's consecutive. I don't know if Daniel and his buddies have completed the three years of training and assimilation in Babylon. It's possible. We don't know for sure. There's a few issues with this date if it's indeed the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, but Daniel and his buddy had three years of training. Now, some say that if you look at the dating, maybe they didn't count a partial year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and there's some different ways to look at it. I would just tell you, go to the commentaries. I think you can find some satisfaction there. I don't see it as that big of a deal. But Daniel does tell us that the reign, the dream came in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And it is interesting just to note that the Bible does not give you a chronology like once upon a time this happened or, you know, uh, somewhere, some, sometime this. No, it gives you historical figures that can be verified outside of the Bible. 
So there's been things found about Nebuchadnezzar outside of Scripture. So you can kind of look at the dates. In the month of October, the number one theme is Halloween. Houses are decorated and kids drag their parents to the store to get the costume they want to wear for their holidays trick-or-treat night. There are those that take the holiday on a darker path. What do you know about the occult? People are often fascinated with it, but it is far from innocent. It is dangerous. God warned his people in the Bible to understand what it is and have nothing to do with it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is a DVD available to you this month by Pastor Michael Lance. The video includes teachings and interviews that will help expose the occult for what it is and shine the light of Christ's power over it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is available as a thank you when you give a donation of any size in support of Walk in Truth. Call 844-48-TRUTH today. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Some of the chapters can overlap. Some chapters could even go back and tell a story that happened earlier. And so you have to be careful that you don't get into a trap of thinking it's consecutive. I don't know if Daniel and his buddies have completed the three years of training and assimilation in Babylon. It's possible. We don't know for sure. There's a few issues with this date if it's indeed the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, but Daniel and his buddy had three years of training. Now, some say that if you look at the dating, maybe they didn't count a partial year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and there's some different ways to look at it. I would just tell you, go to the commentaries. I think you can find some satisfaction there. I don't see it as that big of a deal. But Daniel does tell us that the reign, the dream came in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And it is interesting just to note that the Bible does not give you a chronology like once upon a time this happened or, you know, uh, somewhere, some, sometime this. No, it gives you historical figures that can be verified outside of the Bible. So there's been things found about Nebuchadnezzar outside of Scripture. And so you can kind of look at the dates and you can align, if you will, biblical and secular history. And so Nebuchadnezzar has dreams. It seems like it's multiple dreams and he's troubled and his sleep left him and he awoke in the middle of the night is what it looks like. Now, sometimes we have a troubling dream and we awake from that dream and we, we sometimes, maybe you guys can bear witness to this, sometimes you have a tough time remembering the essence of the dream. Like something shook you, but you're like, what was that about? Or you might have a good dream, like something good's happening. Like usually for me, I'm on the Dodgers playing shortstop, batting third. And, you know, I'm making, pulling down, you know, 25 million a year, and I don't want to wake up from the dream. I'm like, Whoa, no, no, I want to go back to sleep right now. You ever been there before? Whatever your dream is, your good dream is. But sometimes we dream something and we feel the uh, stress of the dream or the excitement of the dream, perhaps, if it's something positive, but we don't remember all the details. And have you ever found that if you wake up and you don't really try to remember it, like immediately it's gone? That's just kind of the nature of how we dream. There's a whole mystery in the world of dreaming. And so we find out later in Daniel 2.29, skip ahead for a second, what was happening. It says, as for you, O king, this is when Daniel's going to tell him the meaning. While on your bed, your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future. Remember, I told you fear of the future is big for many people, including pagan kings like Nebuchadnezzar. 
And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. Now Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that the dreams from God and God who's the revealer of mysteries is revealing the future to Nebuchadnezzar. And it tells us in verse 29 that when Nebuchadnezzar went to bed that night, he was concerned about the future. And he's probably wondering things like you and I all wonder, what's going to happen? What's my future look like? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's just become the king of Babylon. He might be wondering, what's the future of my kingdom? What's the future of my reign? How long will this last? All of those things. And he's going to get some answers from this dream about successions of Gentile nations beyond his own time. And so he was worried. He had just won the Battle of Carchemish, according to history. And even though he had come off some victories, he was still worried. And I think you and I can all uh, say that even when things are going well, when we go to bed at night and we put our head on the pillow, you know, sometimes we, we work through a number of different things that are on our mind. It could be something that happened during the day. It could be a question we have. It could be a job offer. It could be a question about our career or some important relationship to us. We might have a child on our heart or a grandchild. There's so many different things that can spin around at night. In fact, uh, they say that there's a lot of insomniacs, and some of you may be an insomniac in our world, and there's a lot of people who listen to radio all night long or watch television at night because they're insomniacs. And usually that's because they are rotating things in their brain that, you know, are maybe worries or concerns or some of you are analyzers. And when you're going through something, you would dissect something up and down and left and right. And what are the, and what are this? And, and, and then you say, honey, are you asleep? And they say, not anymore. What's your problem? Well, I'm trying to work through something and go to sleep. What's wrong with you? Count sheep. And you're like, 99, 98. <laughs> you know? And you've heard the old saying, instead of counting sheep, talk to the shepherd, right? And so we all go through this. We're human. I don't know what makes you rest easy at night. When you put your head on the pillow, what puts you at peace? What gives you shalom? I'll tell you what makes me rest easy every night. My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've entrusted my life to him. I know to whom I belong. And I, and I am confident that he's able to keep what I've entrusted to him until that day. And that's how I rest easy at night. I don't know how the rest of the world does it, but there's certain people that can't even go to sleep without taking a pill or a drink or whatever. Nebuchadnezzar was wondering about the future even in the wake of victories over Egypt that he had just won in Car at Carchemish. His capturing of Jerusalem, becoming the ruler of Babylon. One writer says, Why has there come to me at the very best and highest moments of my life the strange and disturbing thought that even this might be the material of tragedy. Why is so much that is good and beautiful marked so deeply and indelibly with clear signs of instability and frailty? Victory, we would say, is sweet, but it's also fleeting. We know it deep inside. We cannot hide for long in the shadow of our victories because we are reminded that it's all temporary. And we live on a temporary planet with a temporary mortal existence, right? And so this is what we all face. This is what 
philosophers and theologians call the human dilemma. We all have to face it. The deep questions, the, we might even put them in the category of mysteries about life and death and the future. What are we to make of it? Well, we know that Jesus called Daniel a prophet in Matthew 24, 15, and we know the book of Daniel speaks to this. And so here's the troubled king, Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he's in his little nightcap. He's got a big N on it for Nebi. Remember, you know, he's, he's pretty, he's got a lot of money and he's got a lot of fame, right? He's got his jammies on and he wakes up with a cold sweat and the king, verse two, gives orders to call the magicians, the conjurers or the enchanters, the astrologers, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell his dreams to tell, to tell the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. So all the guys woke up in the middle of the night. They're all in their pajamas, right? What is it, king? What is it? What is it? You had a bad dream. Oh, I'm sorry. You want us to make it some warm milk? You want your blankie, right? What's, what's wrong, Nebi? And Nebuchadnezzar, man, he's frazzled. He calls the magicians, that's the cartomi, the horoscopists, the ones who draw magical lines or circles. The, they learn the sacred writings of the Babylonians, the conjurers. This is uh, the asha. This is uh, those who practice enchantment and astrology. The sorcerers is kashaf or kashap. It's those who practice magic or sorcery. They enchant. They use witchcraft. They whisper spells. And the Chaldeans are probably a class of wise men. Remember, 600 years later, wise men will come from the east and they will say, where is he who is born king of the Jews, right? They come to King Herod. How did they know about a prophecy? Because Daniel was in Babylon and Daniel was able to spread the news about the coming Messiah. And so each of the separate departments, if you will, of the wise men of Babylon are called. These guys are supposed to be those who possess knowledge of divination. They could divine the future or the past or even the present. They could understand omens. They could expound on dreams and prodigies. They were skillful in casting horoscopes. This is what they had on their resume. So if you're the king, who are you going to call? You're going to call the people who are supposed to be experts in these kinds of things and the secret things, the mysterious things like dreams and, and that sort of thing. And of course, Babylon is a, is a place that is filled with all kinds of paganism and, uh, you know, uh, unbiblical type of religion, gods and goddesses. And here's, a, here's the king. He's had a bad dream. He's, he's shook. When we learn about the dream, we're going to see that an image is smashed in the dream and it's 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 you know basically turned into dust and he's wondering is that me who is that and how long till that happens and he's got all kinds of questions so the king said to the people he called in i had a dream verse 3 and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream the dream niv troubles me and i want to know what it means then the chaldean spoke to the king in aramaic and said a common greeting to a king o king live forever Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. So they said, O king, live forever, common, common salutation. Bible students, please note from Daniel 2.4 to Daniel 7.28, it's written in Aramaic. Aramaic seems to be the language spoken in the court of Babylon. It is interesting to note that while 
the majority of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And of course, we know the New Testament is written in what's called Koine Greek. There is a portion of Daniel written in Aramaic. And it is here from Daniel 2.4 to Daniel 7.28. The question is why? Probably because it's the common language of that day. And so you would go over to Babylon, if you will, and learn Aramaic, which is pretty close to Hebrew. We do know that in Jesus's lifetime, it would appear that that's what he spoke was Aramaic. And there are some questions about the dating of the book of Daniel, of course, among liberal scholars. But it is interesting to note that I think this gives strength to the argument of the authenticity of the book, that part of it's written in Aramaic and part of it is written in Hebrew. Uh, here's what uh, one says, one writer says. He says, no one writing at a later date would have written part of the book in one language and part in another. A later imposter would have written it exclusively in Aramaic. An earlier imposter would have written it in Hebrew. And so the fact that it's combined is an interesting, I think, strength to the authenticity of the book. Hey, listening family, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you another exciting thing about walkintruth.com. It's the store that's there. There's some great products up there on some intriguing subjects available in CD and DVD format. When you purchase one of those products, you actually support the radio ministry and help us reach out to more people like you. It's walkintruth.com. Click on the store, check it out, get a product, and you'll be partnering with us in the gospel ministry. We appreciate you. We love you. God bless you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.